Welcome, everyone. I'm uh, Justin Podur. I'm here with uh, John Elmer and Nora Barrows-Friedman. We're doing a special episode of The Brief slash The Anti-Empire Project uh, about the Gaza war as we go into the third month of the war. Uh, how are you guys doing? Not, not great. Okay. <laughs> it's a difficult time yeah. to be humans. Yeah. So in terms of what we're going to do today, we're recording on December 17th. Uh, we should probably talk about the news since the pause ended, uh, I guess a week and a half ago now. I can't, the days blend into each other. And, and specifically, we've all been recording in our respective platforms and I assume people have been following us, but we haven't gotten together since the pause ended. And we also, um, there's a lot of news even since Rafat's uh, murder, which we talked about last week a, a lot. So let's go through the news. Uh, let's go through some of the new revelations that have been happening in the Israeli media about October 7th as the, the story of October 7th just continuously expands and continues to be a huge propaganda point for everything that's going on now. Uh, and expands then, on the one hand and contracts on the other. Mm, and contracts. Numbers, yeah. uh, suspiciously Absolutely. continue to, to, to fall. Yeah. Just today, they like revised yet again the uh, supposed death count from Are we in the 900s seven. now? Or? I saw 695. Oh. Of civilians. Of civilians, yeah. And then like 300-something soldiers and commanders, so. Yeah, yeah, and they're not including any of the armed um, any of the so, armed civilians, which are... Armed civilians important. are just simply civilians. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. If which is not, armed, of course, what would happen with no, Palestinians. No. As we, so if, if, yeah. you were, if you were one of these people we've talked about before from the Economist podcast to the New York, Intelli New York Times Intelligence podcast where they picked up their two nine millimeter pistols and their bulletproof vest and go and went and fought at the fortified kibbutz. That's a civilian. If you died in that condition. Yeah. And, and the people even in the formal rapid response units that yeah. each uh, settlement had. So there was some civilians that picked up guns and joined the fight, but there's also this whole formalized security apparatus yeah, that had existed KK. in each. They're calling them civilians, civilians which is, um, and then they go and fight a guerrilla war, uh, like literally 250 feet away and the complete, and all the nomenclature completely changes. Yeah. Uh, anyone associated with the armed struggle in Palestine as a target. Um, but these deeply integrated um, settlements that are, you know, called the Gaza envelope, you know, like their whole purpose is to encircle the Gaza Strip and to be part of the security apparatus um, that holds the Palestinians into this ghetto. So to, to call them civilians is to really misunderstand the function of these rapid response units within the settlements. And so the numbers just continually go down, mm -hmm. which I think is sort of matches what we were saying right from the beginning, that it didn't, yeah. the scale of the attacks and atrocities never matched the yeah. way the Israelis or framed it. And then they're able to, their framing is then able to, for months, literally months, be the, 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 the way that CNN and the New York Times describes it. And like CNN, even the BBC, use that 1400 number that the Israelis used from day one and turned that 1400 into civilians. It wasn't just a fact check, you know, it wasn't yeah. just like, oh, it doesn't matter here and there. This was the underpinning for the entire war was how devastating uh, a toll on civilians that this fight yeah. was. And there's also a, we, again, we were, we've been writing about this since the very beginning. The Haaretz list that I used in my Substack a couple of weeks in was actually fairly, it turned out to be fairly accurate because I think they were just, they started loading in deaths from the ground invasion too. They started muddying it after around October 27th. But the first few weeks, it was like 600, 700. It 
peaked around 933, and then they started pumping in names from the ground invasion. So when I was looking at the list and I looked at other analyses of that list, I thought this is probably going to end up being around 900 and something. Since we're talking about October 7th, we might as well continue there because there's a new... There's a new Haaretz article where the author said, guys, we need to talk about October 7th, which was kind of a funny uh, article to have two and a half months in, considering the whole thing was we need to not talk about what really happened on October 7th. From the beginning, they and and they, re, they re-upped this after the pause ended, which is they're try- they've been trying to create some kind of qualitative impression of October 7th, where it's like the quality of what happened, the the quality of the atrocities, and implicitly like the kind of people racially that it happened to are so out of proportion that it overrides any quantitative consideration. So yes, it could be that these 300, you know, there were 300 or six, 700 civilians and 300 military personnel that died. But the things that Hamas did are so horrible that we can't even speak of them. We can only show them to certain specific journalists who then talk about how traumatizing it was to see it, but nobody, no, never present any evidence. And the idea is just that it doesn't matter how many Palestinians are being murdered by Israel because the quality of what happened on October 7th right. is so different. So it's a it's, it's been a really really revolting thing to watch if you have any anti-racist sentiment in your in your personality at all. It's yeah. just so revolting to see this just being done. I have the numbers in front of me and it, it's okay. a terrible topic, but, but let's just, let's talk about it and then close it off and we can yeah. move on. Yeah. According to the Haaretz research that went into this uh, story about the, the debunking the 40 yeah. babies and this, all this garbage, the numbers came in. So there was one, one infant was killed tragically, 10 boys under the age of 10 and two girls under the age of 10 and 25 people over the age of 80. And I think that everybody can be on side saying that those are not legitimate targets in any kind of military operation. But that number is 37 total in the whole day. And the Israelis do this thing where they say, and they say it constantly on our televisions, on CBC, on CNN. You know, they say war is messy and it's really tragic that there's civilian casualties, but that's just the way that war goes. War is just messy. So the Israelis get to have this whole war is messy and they get to kill 10,000 children, literally, while we're watching. 10,000 children over two babies. One pregnant mother was killed on the road in her car before anyone knew who it was. And again, I think the Kassam Brigades would be the first to admit that those are not the targets. Those were not intended targets. But the Israelis, they don't. They don't do that. They they say war is messy. That's just the way it goes. You know, you wish it was otherwise. But that's what happens in war. Occasionally, civilians are killed. The Israelis are, are proudly boasting I mean, they're lying about the number of fighters killed, but they're saying that that number of fighters justifies the 20,000 other people that died yeah. and the 10,000 children and and killing people um, and dropping ha- uh, buildings on top of them and, and saying like, well, you'll never get, you'll never be able to dig those bodies out. And that has been used to justify, yeah, like you said, it's not about the scale, it's about the individual atrocity. They've invented a story whereby the atrocity is so far beyond what you can imagine that therefore it justifies this now, what day is it, 73 of massacring children? It's very telling. And then by the time the facts come out about what happened, it's already after everybody's been fired from their jobs 
or yeah. called anti-Semites or, you know, all of the consequences, all the consequences of the war and invasion of Gaza, which is going to be a generation long story about how Gaza yeah. rebuilt itself. It's all based on lies. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's based on egregious lies. 421 were between the ages of 20 and 40. So right. active IDF age, like you don't need to take our word for it. The IDF has bragged about how they called up 360,000 reserves. Who are those people? Those are the 20 to 40 year olds in Israeli society. Plus that number includes all the security forces that participated in that day of operations. Plus, and I was looking back over this the other day, the Israelis were clearly talking about fighting still happening within Israel on the Thursday after right. the Saturday attack. Mm -hmm. So there's this whole other component of it, which is doesn't have anything to do with the October 7th military operation that was designed to collapse the security fence, the billion-dollar security fence, and then attack Israeli bases inside the Gaza envelope. So I think if you took out the rave that nobody knew was going to be there. Right. Um, but And then the rave where so many... Because the, the Haaretz list and Haaretz's investigations, they differentiate between somewhat differentiate between military and civilian. They somewhat provide ages. When I looked at it, they didn't have ages for everybody, but they had something. They had some information there. But they do not differentiate between whether they were killed by Israeli-friendly fire or whether they were killed by Palestinian no, they still resistance. Haven't. I mean, yeah. and, and then the Western media is like, there's, there is a, a very loud absence of those yeah. caveats in all of the reporting like they, they they don't even mention the documented evidence that the Israeli army itself keeps admitting yeah you know that they've that that they were mowing people down with apache gunships um was and, a, and shelling yeah. the homes with tanks like there's no they're just you know it's just kind of like common knowledge now that Hamas, quote, you know, perpetuated this atrocious attack, murderous attack, bloodthirsty murder of, you know, innocent Israeli civilians on a scale that is unprecedented. Um, there's absolutely no, like, no, no context ever and and there's never any corrections being issued yeah. after the fact. It's just it's 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 shocking it's, even it's to us. Shocking. We don't have a way of processing <laughs> yeah. this. And exactly, uh, exactly. Because there's these there's these ways of not assimilating the information that are psychologically interesting, right? Yeah. Where it's like I saw like Aaron Mate confront some politician on a train. He made a video of it, and he said, you know. Uh, what do you, you know, why don't you call for a ceasefire? And the politician said, you know, Hamas killed 1400 people. And then Aaron mm -hmm. said, actually, it's a 1000 or whatever. He, he tried to correct him. And then the politician goes, are you really going to make this a numbers game? Uh -huh. And it's like, right. the politician brought up the number, mm -hmm. Aaron corrected the number, and then it's not a numbers game. Yeah. So yeah, we can't it, talk it, about the numbers. We can't. It was the most yeah. horrific attack that anybody ever in the history of ever right. has ever ever experienced or will ever experience. And therefore it is completely justified that Israel yeah. is genociding Palestinians between 20,000 and 30,000 right now. Even friendlies like, you know, like I saw Norman Finkelstein on Piers Morgan. I've mentioned my unhealthy watching of Piers Morgan and various venues, but like even when Finkelstein kind of, he says, yeah, there were atrocities but, you know, there were atrocities during slave revolts, whatever. And it's like, you have to get the facts down properly before you start deciding to just what's justifiable or not. Like we, mm -hmm. we have to, yeah, like he, he, he uh, such a fact-based 
he's always saying like we have to start from the facts but it's like you can't accept the israeli military figures where you know that they lie uh, the other story about october 7th that i thought was important was max blumenthal at the gray zone where he kind of did an investigation of that first responder organization zaka where oh, yeah. he was going into zaka and the leader of zaka is some kind of awful you know sec- sexual accused of all kinds of sexual improprieties himself uh, and then this evidentiary backing, like all the, like the, when Blinken told this story from like this horror movie, he went and like on under oath, I think he told the story of how Hamas murdered this family and then sat down and ate at their dinner table uh, among the murdered family or whatever. And it was like, what are you talking about? That's not like, like fantasy. I, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, so making it up. It they're just, make, they're and, making it up. Yeah, yeah. Completely. so he got it from Zaka, and Zaka yeah. source is literally I made it up, and and they yeah. Zaka's pretty pretty open about making what they make up. Yeah, um, and the and then in terms of friendly fire, etc. There ha- there was a news. There was a couple of news stories. One a couple days ago about the use of attack helicopters, not just at the rave, but also at Kibbutz Berry. And an, an Israeli, a fairly high-level Israeli officer saying that this was, yes, this was a mass Hannibal kind of an event, mm-hmm. where Hannibal being the doctrine where the Israeli military will kill its own uh, members rather than let them get caught. But now it's been extended to killing civilians rather than letting yes. them get caught. And possibly after the story a couple of days ago of, three of the hostages apparently being murdered by the Israeli army trying to surrender Israelis. They're saying they had white flags, no shirts on, and they were trying to surrender and the Israeli army killed them too. Yeah. And it's like, I I can't help but think they maybe knew they were because they were yelling in Hebrew and so on. And so is this, is the Hannibal doctrine now just, we just go and kill Israelis everywhere. Yeah. Or which forget case, about them. Or, That's the yeah, other thing, because I mean, they've been it, doing this thing where they give yeah. people whose bodies that they know are in Gaza, they've been giving them these like rabbinical uh, whatever it is that allows them to be buried without their bodies, which basically uh-huh. just allows them to be forgotten about. Yeah. And then if yeah. you imagine, so that story that you were saying for our audience, if they weren't, have, didn't hear about it, it was a big story over the last couple of days that the Israelis um, admitted to, which was one of the things that got people into the story at the beginning, because the, the Israelis admitted it, what seemed yeah. like before was necessary. And it was unclear why yeah. they did that, if there was more information. But essentially, um, what the Israelis say is that these three guys, that, that there was a house that had spray that had somehow had painted on it um, that there was three uh, hostages inside in Hebrew, um, and that somehow the I guess the captors of these guys were killed in Shajaia, and the 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 captives the Israelis um, got got out and basically had been held for seventy two days or seventy one days. Uh, and then their moment of getting free, they were they assumed that their entire rightly assumed that the entire neighborhood was crawling with Israeli soldiers because they've been fighting in Shajaia now for two straight weeks, very intensely. Mm-hmm. And so these guys that were held for all this time come out and they take off their shirts because they're soldiers themselves, and they no know bombs, that that's no what suicide gonna, bombs, yeah. whatever. So they come yeah. out already stripped because they know that's the way to do it with their hands in the air the israeli sniper identifies them uh, set, calls out over the radio terrorists terrorists and they open fire on these three guys they kill two of them right away and one of them crawls back injured back into the house and the Israelis go to the house and kill him Finish in the him. house while he's begging, please don't, I'm like saying in Hebrew, like, don't shoot. I'm a, they go and confirm the kill of these guys. And then according to the Israeli version of the story, 
the the thing that caught their attention was that one of the dead guys looked Western. That was their quote, that he looked Western. So they decided, hmm, maybe we should go and fetch those bodies and bring them back to Israel, which Israel doesn't do. That's one thing that the Americans do that the Israelis don't do. The, Is- the Israelis don't do uh, battle damage assessments is what the military calls it. Mm-hmm. Like when the Americans killed, um, like assassinated people in Iraq or whatever, they would go the next day or whenever they right. could, and they would go and send like a forensics unit into the rubble to find, to try to get DNA from the rubble to confirm that they had assassinated the person that they were intending to assassinate. Mm-hmm. And as we know, the Israelis don't do that. They don't do any battle damage assessments. They just press buttons and stay away. Um, And so this case, because the guy looked Western, which is already like, is that really the line that Israel wants to say? Like they pick and choose which Israelis look like they came from afar to, to become Israelis versus the Israelis that live there for thousands of years. It's just a really like, all around just a really revealing moment for the Israelis. Um, and these same media outlets that that's talk about this brutal atrocity, it's all in isolation. You can't then say like, what does that story about Israel shooting its own people tell us about what yeah. Israel is doing? And they don't say like that, that politician, when he's saying 1400, what difference does it make about the numbers? Yeah. That's not in isolation. That Those numbers are the numbers that allowed Israel yeah. to carry out this war that we're watching that kills 10,000 children and shows no signs of ending at this point. So the number is going to go a lot higher. Yeah. Um, and so the idea that, you, that they get to look at their atrocity in isolation um, and that no evidence that comes after that about the event itself or about the moral legitimacy of what Israel is now doing are ever allowed to be part of the debate. Well, you also talked, we've all been talking, but you specifically, John, have been talking about the various plans for attacking the tunnels, poison gas in the tunnels, pumping salt water in the tunnels. You know that the Israeli hostages are in the tunnels. You're going to gas Jews to death in the tunnels. You're going to drown them slowly with seawater. That These are the plans that you're making to rescue for the Jews that are, that are in, in, in captivity. And you're it's, demonstrating this to your entire country who yeah. in a few weeks or months uh, are, are going to be told to go move back to the Gaza envelope and go move back to the northern border. And the, the family of the captives are freaking out about this stuff. They're they're protesting every day. They had a meeting with Netanyahu where they're like, hey, yeah, how about you don't drown my husband who's been yeah. under the ground for 70 days being treated them, well every person that comes said, out it sounds yeah. like a horror movie and then yeah. and biden said at hanukkah without israel there would be no jew safe anywhere in the world he said that as an as as an american president where 5 million <laughs> the most jews, jews live, live. <laughs> 5 million <laughs> american jews live and he says Without Israel, there would be no safe Jew anywhere in the world while Israel is planning to drown a hundred mm-hmm. Jewish captives in Gaza. Yeah, and according to the to the American and Israeli perspective, 150 Jews who had nothing to do with it. They were just defending Israel or they were just in their communities. They're, these are the people that according to Israel's uh, framing that you would think you would want to save first, not the whole reason for existing for the state is to keep these people safe. Right. And now you're planning to kill them in the most horrific ways, like historically 
Yeah, unprecedented oh, ways. Yeah. Horrific ways. Yeah. As 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 the uh the the token Jewish person on on these <laughs> podcasts, um I will say <laughs> that uh it is abhorrent uh that that Biden would would use Jewish people in this way. As abhorrent as it is that the Israeli government and its military are using, you know, the 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 idea of Judaism to carry out these massacres and um, and pretend that that they are doing this in order to keep Jewish people safe. I mean, it's such a it's such a it's such a disgusting farce, and it really is like laying bare exactly what Zionism has always been and what it will always be until its demise, which I hope is very soon. By the it way, it does feel like this 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 is never yeah, going back, is it? We're never going back to October sixth, no. are we? No. No. There's not people that are going to after all this how to to some <laughs> yeah. vague threat exactly. when you're it's obvious that your humanity is yeah. the one on display like it's obvious us who are upset about this framing uh, are the people with the humanity in this story it, it's not the people who are saying that the one crime that happened to my people somehow justifies even if it is true, yeah. even if all of the worst stories that they told were true, the idea that they believe that by telling people some horrible thing happened allows you to then kill anybody who's just yeah. happened to be born in the Gaza Strip seems like a kind of moral uh, collapse. Yeah, collapse Completely. that, that Completely. Can't, you can't collapse. go back from. No. No, and and this, you know, and it really kind of underlines what the goal has always been for Gaza and what it will be for the West Bank after, you know, mm -hmm. if which won't yeah. happen, but you know, it Israel believes that if it can erase Gaza from the face of the earth, turn it into like a new, you know, beach resort, um which they're doing. I mean, there's all these like uh, Israeli developers now, like literally drawing up architecture plans for settlements on the beach of uh, yeah, Shijay, you know, right. like Gaza Gotta City. Got to win the war first, exactly. Got to win the war first. But this is this is like what what they believe and what what they've always wanted is to go erase Gaza, get rid of the Palestinians then in the West Bank. And then come for the Palestinians that are inside Forty Eight. Let, let's let's and just it's, let's it's, just it's ridiculous. Let's, let's game this out a little, shall we? <laughs> because let's remember <laughs> that psychotic. Gaza, yeah. yeah, Gaza exists in its current form because it was filled with people that were expelled yes. from adjacent areas of uh, nineteen forty eight Israel then they created it as a buffer zone. And then that buffer zone now is um, creating all kinds of military difficulties for them. Mm -hmm. So the idea, the solution to this problem is to further displace and create another buffer zone, mm -hmm. this time in Egypt, which Egypt is not gonna allow. Egypt said, we'll go to war over this, whatever. And as they're not going to, they're not going to, Egypt is not going to fight them and they're not going to beat Egypt if Egypt fights them. So this is not even worth talking about. This is not going to happen. Right. Um, but that idea but, is that they'll move it like a couple kilometers away. Yeah. Right. And then what? And then they're going to reap, then they're going to populate it with a nice beachside houses mm -hmm. that people are going to identical a series of identical beachside houses i guess i you've all seen the architectural plan it looks like every yeah it looks like every Suburban. other israeli settlement colony yeah. Yeah. which they tried to do from 1956 until right. 2005. 2005 exactly and then they're gonna do that and then they're gonna have this this buff this buffer zone that they create in egypt is gonna be quiet for some reason Right. And then in the West Bank, those bu those zones are going to be quiet for some reason. Right. Uh, so it just it's it looks to me like they're just continuously doing the only thing that they know how to do. That's all. Exactly. They're just spamming the co the thing that they do, which is we're going to expel people and murder people. Now right. they are trying to break some new ground 
And I think this is why I, I wanted to cover some of the news because there's there's two side there's two sides to all of these things. And on one hand, you will see new atrocities every week. New really quali- again qualitatively, they talk about the quality of October 7th, but like we are seeing qualitatively new atrocities to the point where you have to wonder if they have people cooking these up, right? Yeah. Like let's yeah. leave incubator babies to die. Let's create bulldoze bulldoze, in a intense outside of a hospital that has been besieged for days so what do we have let's tell that story before we just list it because go ahead yeah Yeah, why don't we go over Nora? can you go over some of the news you've been covering oh god it's just um these these stories are so incredible that us who have been doing this for 25 years are sharing messages with each other saying what are we watching here yes. what is happening yeah. real here it, we've it, it we've watched no it with our own eyes yeah. uh for years and i've and- had the for the first time this morning actually this morning i woke up and had that thing where people say they have where i'm like this has this i'm gonna wake up now and yeah i'm gonna look and none of this stuff that i thought happened is will have happened yeah. because it's just like it can't it, this can't be the world. It, it doesn't make sense. I live in. So Nora's done some good work on the hospitals. Just to get, just to tee her up, we've we've talked <laughs> about it on multiple platforms. But Israel's primary objective of this ground invasion yeah. has been to shut down the hospitals. Yeah. And one of the hospitals that hadn't been yet shut down and still had people sheltering um, out front in their courtyard um, was besieged for the last week or ten days. And in the last couple of days, um, they acted on it. And one of the things that they did was that they showed a video of the IDF going into an incubator in the hospital and pulling a gun out of the inside of the incubator, which was like like the most outrageous. Of of shells, right? Yeah, like the most outrageous propaganda that you could imagine. But outside the door, they literally used their armored bulldozers to drive over the maimed people who are, couldn't fit in the hospital and who are out in the like courtyard of the hospital. And we saw footage today uh, or yesterday, um, depending on where your clock is, um, that, that showed bodies buried underneath the rubble that they had pushed, seeming to indicate that they had run through the courtyard and killed the people that were in those tents out front, who are people who can't move. Like the people who haven't left the hospitals are people who are disabled, who are maimed, who are too old, uh, and they've killed them in the courtyard of yeah. the hospital. I think I just reported what I would I said. Yeah, no, no, no notes. Report, but um, I, I don't know where to even stop on that. And I just like, it's I hard know. to even know, like to even say the words. The the um, concept of of what we're seeing is is something that I, I've never, I never thought was possible. And again, yeah, we've been reporting on this for over two decades and like, I just I can't like this is this is new this is new territory um, for many of us because um, these kinds of atrocities the actual like psychotic terror that the Israeli military is uh, is is showing us that they are capable of and not just like a one off thing but like multiple times a day. Um, yeah, it seems like Kamal, there's a new, yeah. Kamal Udwan Hospital. Udwan Hospital. So this you is also, one of, yeah. You also reported on the execution, uh, kind of attack, ex- executions of families, including babies in, in a UN school, right? Which Al Jazeera and nobody else reported. Yeah, that's right. I'm like, what story was, the, yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so Kamal Adwan Hospital, just to, just to mm-hmm. recenter that for a second, um, yeah. that was uh, it, it had been 
besieged, I guess, December 11th, so about six, seven days ago. Um, and, you know, of course, like any other, like all of the 36 hospitals around the Gaza Strip, there's no electricity, water, food. Um, the, uh, the Israeli army then uh, interrogated and tortured uh, some of the medical staff that they had detained from Kamal Adwan. So they basically like marched in, arrested, detained physicians and like medical personnel. Um, and then they, uh, then they released some of the medical personnel who went back to the hospital. When they were returning to the hospital, Israeli forces shot at these medical workers. Um, and then uh, seven, but 70 other medical staff are still or had still been detained as of the time that I wrote this a few days ago. Um, and, you know, the Israelis have been routinely abducting and kidnapping and torturing uh, physicians, directors of hospitals. The director of Ashifa Hospital has been um, uh, abducted and is uh, undoubtedly being interrogated and tortured um, for the last, I believe, three three weeks now. Mm. Um, and uh, this is all to you know, kind of uh, bolster these absolutely fake propaganda claims by the Israelis who say that, like, you know, Hamas had a had a command and control layer, uh, you know, underneath Al Shifa Hospital. They want they need high level health officials, including doctors and directors of hospitals, to to you know corroborate these like completely outrageous and false claims. And they're doing it by what Israel does the best, which is torture people um, into giving false confessions, which is a war crime, obviously. I mean, war crime, like international law, Just, there's, it's yeah, completely meaningless. Day. Like we have yeah. to, we can't even like, there's no um, like yardstick now to measure yeah. Because the yardstick is broken. Um, if but, this is not illegal, right, then what's exactly. the point what's, of the law? But it there's is no illegal. What, what the is war, the war, you're yeah. not allowed, just because there's a handgun in an incubator, right. which is absurd, doesn't yeah. give you in under international, right. under any international law, the ability to run over civilians in the parking lot. Right of the hospital. Right. There's right. no, there's not even a pretense that there's uh, a justification for this. No. And Israel is documenting it in this way that, that the, the, yeah. the, yeah. the, just the, the, the belief in impunity is impunity. so thorough yeah. um, at amazing, this point. Yeah. And then that's just one hospital. There's another hospital, Al-Auda hospital, which um, mm -hmm. uh, for the last I don't know, 10, 12 days has had, has been surrounded by tanks and Israeli snipers. And there's one sniper whose job it is to shoot at anyone who moves inside the hospital. They've already shot at um, a pregnant woman. It's a, it, they have a maternity unit. And so a pregnant woman uh, uh, was coming to get maternity services and she was accompanied by her sister-in-law and the sniper shot at both of them. The pregnant woman was wounded. Her sister-in-law was killed. Their bodies, uh, her body was left in the street outside the hospital because like I said, anyone who attempted to come and retrieve this woman's body was uh, shot at by the sniper. Um, and I was speaking to a medical uh staff member inside Al-Auda during the siege uh, a few days ago. And, and he said that, um, you know, not only like they don't like the Israelis have bombed the water tanks on top, you know, on the roof of the hospital. And so now the, the little water that they had stored is now completely gone. Um, and they're reduced to, um, you know, they're like, really dirty water. They can't, they can't clean anything. There's no antibiotics. He showed me a video that he took of a girl inside the pediatric unit who came in with a skin infection, which is really common now in Gaza because of lack of clean water, uh, hygienic, you know, uh, mm -hmm. shelters and, and, you know, being in so such close proximity 
to so many people without any basic services. Um, and they, they couldn't fix the skin infection. They couldn't treat it because they don't have any antibiotics. So they had to amputate this little girl's leg. And he showed me the video of this little girl in, in a, in a, uh, like on a, on a couch, like not even in a hospital bed anymore because all the beds are filled. So this poor girl was like on a couch in what was like the waiting room of one of the clinics inside the hospital. And he said like, you know, she'll be fine. She'll be physically fine, but she, you know, but it's the psychology that I worry about and the trauma of these kids and the un just this is this is the 21st century this is 2023 in Gaza where you know in normal situations um it's already extremely difficult uh medically even though the doctors in Gaza are absolute heroes and geniuses and have learned to treat people under the most um difficult circumstances for decades uh, they're they're some of the top medical professionals in the world and but without antibiotics without clean water without electricity little girls have to have their legs amputated um and it's just and that's that's those are just two hospitals then there's Al-Shifa Hospital, of course, and they bombed a maternity hospital yesterday. They bombed a maternity hospital yesterday. Yeah. Um, and then... Sni and then Snipers in a church courtyard. Right. Snipers in a church Killing courtyard shooting at women patients. trying to go to the bathroom. Um, so bulldozers. they killed an old lady, then they killed yeah. her daughter who was trying to help her. I mean, where does this end? Like, what is the... I don't know. And then Biden, you know, saying saying to, you know to the to the american people like oh i wish i could do something you know but then today father, he just like did you hear about biden's father returning to the kibbutz oh right yeah no he he's told like, a story he needs, of... he needs to be in a home you know like yeah. he needs to be cared for and taken out of public uh responsibility like he's he's right. he's an old man but he's also an ideological zionist genocidal freak um, and he just signed off on, on sending, I, I don't even remember the, the number of tank shells to Israel yesterday. So, yeah, I think this is, this is a good time to move into where things are going because we, you know, we have, we have a lot of details. We've done a lot of details, but like big picture, yeah. you just mentioned all these shells going but it, it, I don't think the outcome is going to be decided. This type of war is not decided by the side with more shells. Uh, yeah. Maybe Russia, Ukraine is decided by the side with more shells. But but it's this is to a, sound like that. Yeah, but but this is a guerrilla war, and it's not. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. And like, um, I don't know. Yesterday they said they after the after the deaths of these three hostages, I saw a headline that Mossad guys going back to try to negotiate again. And when I, the Mossad guy being, he's going back to Qatar to try to start another round of negotiations about hostage prisoner exchange, exchange. about mm -hmm. prisoner exchange. So this is what I got. I, I've been reading uh, Marilyn Young. I actually asked Danny Haifong what I should read about the Vietnam war. I was like, sorry to ask the Vietnamese guy about, you know, we'll forget no more. But <laughs> but he, he suggested Marilyn Young and Nick Terse. So I was reading Marilyn Young's book, The Vietnam Wars, 1945 to, I don't know, something. And what was striking to me was reading about the end of the Vietnam War and how long it took and how long there were long months of bombing and they would they would negotiate for a bit. They would reach an impasse and then there would be three more months of bombing and complete wiping of villages off of the face of the earth, right? And it was like Laos is being bombed and Cambodia is being bombed and the U.S. is bombing the south and then they're bombing the north and they're sort of saying, give us what we want. They're saying to North Vietnam, the communists, uh, the Viet Cong, the NLF, they're saying to them, 
if you, you know, accept these or that, those terms, then we'll stop bombing part of Vietnam. We'll stop bombing the North or we'll stop bombing the South for a while. These are the kinds of offers they're making. And there was this amazing thing that Kissinger, so Kissinger is the one who's negotiating. And there, there's a couple of quotes that I found really striking. One was he said, you know, I refuse to believe that a fourth rate power like North Vietnam does not have a breaking point. Uh, so that obviously got oh, me true. thinking about the current situation. Yeah. Um, and the other one is he he talked about, you know how Rumsfeld has this known knowns, unknown unknowns, all this kind of scheme. So Kissinger said, you know, Kissinger was a big believer in madman theory and threats and, and so on. And he said, you know, if your enemy believes that you are going to do something and you're not going to do it, that's fine. But the, but the problem comes when you uh, are going to do something and you threaten that you're going to do it. And then the other side doesn't believe you're going to do what you threatened. And then there, he was talking to the Vietnamese. He was explaining this somehow somewhere. And the Vietnamese negotiator said, you need a third category when you're negotiating with someone who doesn't care whether you're going to do what you threaten or not. <laughs> and that was pretty cool. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> and that also is very much, you know, I think an analogy here, yeah. but um, the, the final thing I wanted to say about Vietnam was like, in addition to how long it takes and how many fits and starts and talk, fight, talk, fight as Mal uh, Zedong said, um, it's also like the disintegration of the U.S. military, the morale collapse, the murder of officers by uh, subalterns, the heroin addiction, uh, rampant heroin addiction and other uh, kinds of collapse. That was apparent for years before the war ended. So, so the, like, Tet, the Tet Offensive yeah. is in yeah. January of 1968, right? Yeah. And the the helicopter landing on the consulate or on the whatever embassy and having yeah. people climbing up the rope ladder is 1975. Oh. Yeah, Dien Bien Phu, which is the battle uh, where the Vietnamese uh, took apart their cannons and carried them to the top of the mountain, that's 1954. So 54 to 68, the tent offensive. So, so so people some were in in my corner of the world people are trying to find like examples right for for yeah. what Gaza is and if there's ever been and all yeah. kinds of these military experts are saying that Qassam has built the Palestinians have built in yeah. Gaza the most fortified battle space that's ever been created and their attempts at examples like Mosul with ISIS or whatever that they, they don't work because I, Mosul didn't have ISIS didn't yeah. have the population. There wasn't yeah, a population right. on the side, right? Yeah. So that's a key distinction. Um, but yeah, the the Tet Offensive is 68 and the end of the war is 75. And 68, the Tet Offensive is, um, I actually just watched something about this the other day. Um, and they played the sort of, um, you know, like what it, it's like Walter Cronkite. And w there's like mm -hmm. three main news people back then. Right. And you they don't even say who it is because you're supposed to recognize their voice from that age. But basically, mm -hmm. after the Tet Offensive, that's when the Americans start saying like, well, you know, maybe maybe we're not mm -hmm. winning this thing. Mm -hmm. And the battle, the urban warfare battle from the Vietnam War that they that that is talked about is the yeah. Battle of Hue. Mm -hmm which was the like city that the North Vietnamese took over in the Tet Offensive. And then the Americans went and fought um, for more than a month in the city. Um, like that's where Full Metal Jacket, I think, is is like mm -hmm. where they go in and they fight. But even in, in the Battle of Hue, they're talking about 170,000 people living in that city at that point. And yeah. the Americans were basically unable to clear it. They had to destroy 80% of the city um, and Gaza, you're talking about something that's just so much larger than that on scale, yeah. both in terms of the buildings that are above ground, but also this massive under, I mean, the Vietnamese had an incredible underground networks, right? Like the Vietnamese, because of their experiences with fighting the French, uh, they already knew. And I'm sure after this, the Palestinians are probably going to do it too, is move their hospitals underground 
um, because that's what the Vietnamese did. Um, because I guess they knew that these these hospitals were going to be a target. Um, and you can just to say about the hospitals, you can have the hospitals be an objective of your operation. A lot of Americans talk about how, like in the Battle of Fallujah, the hospitals were a primary objective. But there's a difference between securing a hospital yeah. and killing everybody in the hospital. Um, to secure it as a space while you're moving through the city sure. is one thing, but that's not what Israel's doing. No. So. No, the they're, Vietnam they're going examples. after. They're the only targets that, yeah. um, you know, that that Israel can, besides you know, apartment buildings and schools and shelters and, but like Israel is prioritizing the hospitals yeah. in this like completely demented way, yeah. um, and going in there and doing the most just psychotic propaganda exercises yeah. you know putting bullets in in the incubators and then saying see see we told you you um, demonstrated just right. for just, people out there the thing about the gaza strip it's not the west bank in the gaza strip there's tens of thousands of weapons yeah in part because the israelis let them have them for yeah. their security forces so mm -hmm. there's no you, there's no need for you to have a handgun in an incubator there's thousands mm -hmm. of ak-47s all over the place there's no shortage of weapons in gaza it's not the same as the west bank where israel goes in in a raid just to get one gun it's not mm -hmm. like that so if you wanted to actually have propaganda like put guns on the table um, you could do that. So what they're doing is something completely separate than that. And yeah. they, and it's like they believe that it doesn't matter, right? Like they have to believe it doesn't yeah. matter. Like yeah. I, I haven't looked at the news in our world um, today, but I don't, th it, I don't want to speculate in case it is a big story. I hope it is a big story, but I, I, I don't know it's if it's even going to make the news. No, it hasn't made the news at all. It hasn't made the news. No. Yeah, they're no. They like all day yesterday. I was I was running errands and like I was just flipping back between uh, radio stations, whatever. Like I couldn't listen to any more podcasts. I didn't even have <laughs> like energy to listen to music. I just so I just like flipped back and forth. And there's you know there's a couple of uh, PBS, you know NPR uh, adjacent stations in the Bay Area and both of them at different times were, you know, doing their like little news headline updates on the hour. And, and yeah, like it was just dominated by the three Israeli hostage thing and mm -hmm. uh, how sad that the families were. And this was the day that, uh, that Israeli bulldozers murdered people by running over them at Kamel Adwan. Like there's n there was ab there wasn't even a mention of Palestinians. There was no there like Palestinians don't exist. Their their you know their sorrow doesn't exist. It doesn't doesn't matter. It's all it just dominated by Israeli tears. That's it. So a couple of thoughts before we wrap. One is uh the the strategy thing, you know, I remember 20 years ago when I was in the West Bank um, and Gaza, and I talked to—I was—we were talking about to people about uh, like uh, an Israeli uh, friend, actually, uh, Neta Golan, and we were just—we were just talking about like the military aspects of of this this conflict, and and I I, I remember telling her like I don't think I I, I was very fatalistic about it. Because I was, and and the concept that I couldn't wrap my head around, you guys, this is this is going to be funny. But I was just like, they have nowhere to retreat to. They're completely surrounded. You know, in 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 strategy discussions, it's called like strategic depth, right? This is a concept like Pakistan says that they have to control Afghanistan because it's their strategic depth in case India invades, mm -hmm. they could retreat into Afghanistan or something. And it's like, um, and and Netta was like, well. Um, Lebanon didn't have that either, and they managed to, uh, you know, free themselves of Israeli occupation in two thousand. Like a, it was two years before uh, at that time in, in two thousand. And I thought, well, I, I don't think that's quite right because they do have Syria and they do have that. They do have that strategic depth, and it's like I would never have been able to 
predict that they that the Palestinian resistance would literally dig strategic depth into the ground. Their strategic depth is quite literally depth. It's mm. underground. It, and it like I just, that just hit me like, oh my God, they have strategic depth. They have yeah. literal yes. strategic depth now. Um, and that also, the other point is the complete separation between civilian and, and what's going on with the civilian suffering and the military logic unfolding. And they really are just parallel, parallel universes almost because mm. the civilian suffering is completely intolerable. And nonetheless, the resistance is continuously scoring victory after victory and they're videotaping them for, for the whole world to see and making incredibly well edited videos that they're releasing every couple of days right and yeah of, and that, so, of that day and the day before of, right like we're, that that's very one day thing that we've seen from the the recent videos that we were not as sure about in the earlier videos yeah. is how how when, what the yeah. timeline of these videos yeah. was but but now we're seeing the videos responding to things that happened two days before yeah. um we're, we're abu obeda's speeches are referencing events that happened the previous day uh, sometimes even the day that he's giving the speech. So they clearly are able to do all of that. And the and if confidence, are, yeah, yeah. The confidence that they have militarily, the scale of the attacks that they're doing, the ambushes yeah. that they're conducting is, yeah, it's only growing. And it's, uh, it's pretty amazing to, partly because of the disconnect too. Cause it's like, I don't really think that Israel is even trying to defeat them. Like Israel's completely like laser focused on attacking the civilians. Yeah. Right. And not even like destroying infrastructure exactly. Like just trying to create the highest profile depravities as if that's either going to scare or, or terrorize or just make everyone know that they can do what they want. Like it's, it's so, yeah. um, it's so disconnected from the military realities. And it's sort of like, this process of both sides trying to send a message like the Palestinian resistance is like, no reality is still matters. And the Israelis are sort of like, no, we can impose whatever story we want on this mm -hmm. situation and, and everybody's going to believe it. And it, it yeah, it, it's, it really is crazy making out. Speaking of crazy making John, I, I believe I sent you, um, Seymour Hirsch's latest newsletter, oh, and I've I've gotten to the point where I don't read them. I don't, I don't even read them. I just send them to you. Uh, yeah. The the one I sent you, I read a couple of paragraphs, and then I was like, okay, I'm glad I didn't read this. But it, he said, I believe he said that uh, the the Israelis are going to go into the tunnels. They're much more willing. I saw something like they're much more willing to go into the tunnels now, and they're they're going to have wrapped everything up by the end of January. And so, you know, the real question is what happens to the West Bank? I gathered that was his um, story. His story before that was, remember, that was that Yahya Sinwar was going to take all of the captives to Shifa to the command center and turn them all over. That was his, that was his story in the lead up to it. And I mean, I don't know if it's his, if it's Hirsch's fault. I think it's just interesting to see that his sources, um, they're feeding which, him? which I have no doubt are excellent sources. Um, mm. And what they're doing is showing how little of a plan they have. All of yeah. his stories have been wrong. Every for his single whole, one. Like all of these stories that basically literally, in some cases, it, it looks like he's using the voice transcription program and not even mm. editing the mm. things that people. So he's just like literally tra like transcribing the words that these intelligence mm. agents have have thought. And the Americans thought all these things that are not not happened and then week after week it it is crazy making it's it's crazy that the that, that they don't believe that there's such a thing as history you know or yeah. like that there's that that people aren't going to go back and look at this or that people aren't going to um you know in the future use this as the explanation for why for example they carry out another attack like when we look to the future i, I mean do you do we really believe that 
October 7th won't happen again now that everybody knows that it can happen. I don't know if you guys saw that footage of the the one kid last week who came out of the rubble when his parents had been killed and he's covered in dust and he's probably, I don't know, 13 or 14 years old. And he's just like saying, we're just going to do it again and again and again. And then this, you know, like we're going to do October 7th over and over again. You can't scare us. We're not afraid, um, you know, to give, to be fair to the kid. He was very articulate about what he said. I don't want to trail off and, and not say what he said. He was very articulate and basically just said, we're not afraid of you. Um, things will never go back to the way they were. We're just going to do this again and again. And there was a interview in the New York times with one of the captives who was released. And she talks about at length about how how close she was to her captors and how well they took mm-hmm. care of her um, and all this stuff. And and the article ends by her saying um, that this fighter who presumably is a senior fighter, he, uh, he tells her um, when this is all over, don't go back to the Gaza envelope, go move North to Tel Aviv. Don't move into the Gaza envelope because we're coming back to the Gaza envelope. It's just hard mm-hmm. to imagine that, you know, that that 13 year old and that individual fighter are somehow like unique impressions. Yeah. I believe that everyone believes that. The atrocities are psychological warfare, right? They're trying to, they're trying to say the price is too high of trying to defy us and look at how horrific, but all you're creating is disgust. You're not really creating fear. You're creating And and there's no sympathy anymore. Whatever sympathy Israel had acquired after October 7th is gone, except for, you know, the people inside Israel who want Gaza to be erased. And, and, you know, the 98% of the Israeli public who were polled, who said that Gaza is either being bombed the right amount or not enough. Um, I mean, that's but, who that's for. It's, it's, they're, they're demented. They're demented yeah. and they'll stay demented until they're not able to anymore, you know, rule over this indigenous land, yeah. be the, 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 the slaughterers of, of children anymore. I mean, and then they'll have to reckon with themselves and that's not our responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> that's theirs. I mean, when we talk about land back, the easiest yeah. land back on the face of the earth would be to expand Gaza into the Gaza envelope, to expand into that farmland in a peace agreement. The, the Palestinian, the Israelis could allow a proper exchange, a fair exchange, get their people who they need to fight for their state for the next however many years, get them back, show their state that they can get them back, um, and make some kind of uh, of uh, like a temporary like interim peace agreement whereby all the people from Gaza who were from the Gaza envelope you know most yeah, of them were from villages the south, that, from these yeah. and no one's going to go back into these villages um why not triple the size of Gaza which is what how much land Qassam took on the morning of October 7th um and make that land Gaza those agri those agriculturalists living in Gaza that don't need Thai and Nepali workers to work. Yeah, the, the land Israelis for them. aren't the farmers. Yeah, the Thais are the farmers, and they no, don't want to come back. as farmers, right? Yeah, and the Israelis who like to live in the city, in the big city, you know. And even the people who lived in the Gaza envelope, like a lot, like that one Haaretz reporter, he he described it very clearly that that they only moved to the Gaza envelope, like less than 10 years ago. And he says, yeah. he says, my family went there as an adventure. Zion, um, trying to live right. the Zionist dream of being right. pioneers. Yeah. yeah. And the other guy, that one of the guys, the, um, the Hirsch, Hirsch Goldberg, the guy who got his arm blown off and his family has been the most outspoken of all the people that are captives in Gaza. That family lived in New York in 2009, mm-hmm. like 10 years after all of us had been covering this conflict. Yeah. They moved there after 10 years of us covering this conflict. So their their connection to that land is basically less than yeah. like yeah. Justin and I's from Toronto. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. All right, guys. We have your live streams, what, Monday, Thursday? Uh, We've been doing the Monday, the Thursday. Holidays. 
the most recent one was on all resistance. So if people yeah. have too much sorrow and don't want yeah. to yeah. Uh, engage with the the sorrow and are overwhelmed by it, which I I believe I am in that category. Yeah. We yes. did a show on Thursday on electronic intifada where we just did resistance for two full hours so and it's been people... going crazy on youtube yeah. like people really love it because it's it's uh yeah it's it's necessary we need it we need i i keep thinking about um what louis alday said on the last tanky mm -hmm. group therapy where like mm -hmm. the people who aren't seeing the resistance videos and who aren't talking yeah. about them and yeah. analyzing they're them the most they're the most affected i feel yeah. you know like yeah. they're outside of gaza obviously the people who 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 are watching the slaughter day after day after day and and aren't aware of the incredible yeah. ferocity of the resistance yeah. are and sophistication really, and, and sof everything, yeah and everything ingenuity and yeah. like and Nerdy to engineering. Phrase, I mean, to, to use a phrase of uh, to use yeah. a phrase from the Israeli side, purity of arms. I mean, they right. are so methodical <laughs> about attacking military targets and yeah. militarily yeah. superior targets. That's in right. Terms of equipment. So it's um, a real so morale booster, and it really it it um, yeah the so the it 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 lessens the blow of the sorrow. That's yeah. it's really true. So yeah, go so see Tuesday that. So Tuesday and Friday, you said. This week, yeah. This week, this week Tuesday. Uh, next next week, Christmas Eve, we'll be recording our tanky group therapy, our, right. our usual therapy group. So uh, that'll we'll have out. an actual therapist on with us this time. We'll have a therapist on. <laughs> we won't spoil just in case that doesn't work <laughs> out. But yeah. Um, okay. Um, all right. Let's let's leave it there, and and we'll we'll see everyone in the coming week. Thanks, Justin. Videos. Yeah, it was good to see you guys. I hope everyone's yeah. holding up. The Brief is produced by Pierre Loisel in Quebec. Nora Barrows-Friedman in California. And I'm John Elmer in Toronto. Our music is by Greg Wilson. Follow us on Twitter at The Brief Pod. Find us on the web at thebriefpodcast.com and support our work by subscribing at Patreon. <laughs>